This episode is brought to you by Aircraft Accessories of Oklahoma. When it's time for an aircraft component inspection, overhaul, repair, or replacement, you need experienced technicians you can trust and friendly service you can count on. Aircraft Accessories of Oklahoma, a family-owned business since 1959, delivers just that. Our techs have real-world experience and provide sales, service, and overhaul for piston engine aircraft accessories. We also have limited turbine capabilities such as fuel pumps, starter generators, and prop governors. And we can overhaul propellers ranging from fixed pitch to turbine. Propeller pickup and delivery service is available. And one more thing, mention this podcast to receive 5% off your next sale, service, or overhaul. Visit aircraftaccessoriesofok.com. This week on Hangar Talk, airline hiring continues at a blistering pace. And advanced air mobility is in the news again. We give you the latest on unleaded fuel transition. The Avionics Association posts top sales ever. Also, GA lends a helping hand in Hawaii. Ian, are you ready to do some Hangar Talk? Let's do it, David. From AOPA, your freedom to fly. This is Hangar Talk. Yeah, the 1056 turn right heading 130, contact final 132.4. Turn right, guys. With your hosts, Ian Twombly and David Tulitz. This is Hangar Talk. Welcome to Hangar Talk, everybody. I'm Ian Twombly. And I'm David Tulis. David, our guest this week is Lawrence Balter. Lawrence is a Hawaii based pilot. Sears owner, flight school owner, who just saw the fires, saw the devastation, wanted to do something about it, and uh, was able to rally support. That's right. They filled in the gap in as general aviation mostly does during a natural disaster for the first, you know, week or 10 days or so before the Fed stepped in and helped take over. But Lawrence has a great story to tell, and we're going to hear all about it. Yep. Okay. So that's in a few minutes. But first, airline hiring, that just continues to be in the news. And that's partly because it's just so, as this, the headline to this, it's so unfathomable, really, especially for people who've been around a while and seen the real low lows. Now we're at such a high. It's just incredible. Um, this story from Nikki Britton, it talks about how the real headline here, I think, not just the numbers, but the pay increase, David, especially at the regionals over the past 20 years. It's just incredible. It's yeah. staggering. It's a great time to be a young pilot or a pilot who might not yeah. be young, but it's, you know, changing mid-careers. <laughs> yeah. Mid, mid <laughs> yeah, new pilot. But Ian, you, you alluded to this a second ago. This is really crazy. There's a 546% pay jump and starting pay for regional airline pilots. And that's compared to about 23 years ago, you know, from then until now, uh, the numbers are 16,000 bucks a year in 2000 to $108,000 in 2023. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And you know, a lot of that growth has just been recently because even as or, well late as so what I was instructing, I think it was Oh three. And you know, I had some friends who were just struggling, struggling, struggling to make it finally did they would take pay cuts from instructing to go to the regionals, which is incredible when you think about it. And and yeah, it wasn't much higher than 16000 And so that low pay combined with the lifestyle that's uh, that can be tough is rough on a lot of people. So we're finally getting to a really appropriate wage, I would say, at the regionals. Right. 
Yeah, absolutely. This is really interesting and entices a lot of people into the regionals. Of course, that's a big stepping stone mm -hmm. to the major airlines. But, you know, uh, FAPA explained here that this is to me is mind boggling as well. You know, the gap in hiring is because a lot of the younger or newer pilots, you know, they're required to have a thousand hours of part 121 experience before they can upgrade to captain. And so there's a legal limit on that number. And uh, you know, if you figure out and do the math, there's a, a, a limit on how many hours a day mm -hmm. you, can you can fly. That would yep. mean how many in a, how many hours a month and per yeah. year, right? Yep. It just takes some time. It takes about a year at best. So as the high timer pilots are being hired for the majors, it leaves a, a lot of first officers, you know, in the right seat. They're still building time. They want to become a captain eventually. And so now the regionals are offering incentives to uh, captain qualified candidates basically to keep them. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> yeah. it's amazing. It is amazing. Yeah. So Kit Darby, who tracks just major airline hiring with the idea being that, of course, major airline hiring is what sucks up all the pilots from the others. And so if major airline hiring is good, so is it everywhere else. Right. You know, he says a good year, a really good year is 5,000 pilots hired at the majors. And right now they're on track for like 14,000. So it's just, um, I mean, almost triple even what a, what a historically high year would be. Well, that's good, not only for passengers, but for us in general aviation, because many of those pilots pass through general aviation at least yeah, while they're true. getting, you know, they're getting their mm -hmm. hours and getting their ticket and passing through to get their commercial and CFI and you know, move on up. So yeah. that's probably why we're seeing a, a little bit of an increase in private pilot activity, you know, general aviation pilot activity. And also maybe that's why some of the aircraft are still, the prices for used aircraft are still kind of high right now. Yeah, especially with those training airplanes. That's absolutely yeah, the flight right. schools need them. Yeah. Right. Yep. Yeah. So one category that's really not defined for the future and, and the need for pilots is advanced air mobility. Oh, right. And so part of why that isn't defined is because obviously the designs are still being finalized. They're still being worked on. Some of them are going to be optionally piloted. But uh, we did talk about this NPRM a couple months ago that came out that was the basis of pilot certification for that. So future pilots can look at that and say, OK, what am I going to need to be qualified and now Gamma has submitted their comments to this NPRM with AOPA and other support. Mm -hmm. And it's pretty interesting, David. They, they focused in on a lot of areas that uh, I think are just common sense, really. One of which is apparently the FAA was, is wanting to require dual pilot controls, that every manufacturer Aha. produce at least one model with dual pilot controls as a way essentially to train people. Oh, well, that's a good way to, to train them because the other part of this NPRM, if I understand it correctly, is that you're going to need a powered lift type rating, and that's going to be added to your existing airplane or helicopter category pilot certificate as in you and I can get a, you know, a, an advanced air mobility type rating uh, yeah. for powered lift. So you would need to be trained on that. So you would need dual yeah. controls. So that's interesting. Yeah, it is. And so there, but Gamma says, and I think they're probably right, it's, it's a little impractical for every manufacturer to be able to produce these in part because of funding at the beginning and in part because some of the designs just aren't going to allow it well the design is to be uh, automated yeah. in the long run uh, absolutely. absolutely yeah so and they're saying the fa is saying that they're going to require 50 hours in type which i think is crazy uh that's way too high so gamma says no 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 add that power lift onto an existing pilot certificate 
let them gather the aeronautical experience, and then you cannot require typewriting for each individual model. That's just, there's no way the industry will suffer from rules like that, which I think is true. Maybe maybe just some kind of a rating to be an advanced air mobility pilot exactly. category. Exactly. Yep, exactly. So, yeah, so these comments I think are, they're appropriate. I think it's, you know, they're they're trying to balance safety and design criteria with growth in the industry, which of course is what they do. So yeah, it's, uh, it's good. And I think, and like I said, uh, Gamma has just submitted these with AOPA and, and others approval, including HAI. So yeah, it's a sticky, a sticky wicket, as they say, because, yeah. um, you know, we're all just sort of feeling this out as we go. Right. It is. And, uh, I, you know, it is such a new technology. We're still not sure how it's going to shake out. Now would be a good time to review a couple of the big players, that we think might have a, a run at this Joby aviation. We've mm-hmm. actually had a story in pilot magazine about them. We had them on the front uh, cover Volocopter. We've talked about before, and I'm not sure the status of whisk arrow. That was a joint venture between Boeing and Kitty Hawk. Yeah. I want to say that one folded already, but yeah. Mm-hmm. What about Lilium? They're still Remember on Lilium. Yep. Okay. In Germany. Yeah. Yep. And uh, A3 by Airbus. Yeah, Airbus is always, you know, they're always A cube, maybe. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, future tech. So, yeah. Yep. Uh, e Hang, they came, I think they came and went, and uh, Vertical Aerospace and some others. We just did that. I did that by a quick Google search. So, yeah. your results may vary. Yeah. But, that's uh, right. but that, I mean, there's so many of these. It seemed like Ian, mm-hmm. for a while, we were writing about them every week. Yes. And uh, I think the market, yeah. market has started to shake down a little bit. And some of the investors are really seeing, um, you know, seeing what will really work and what might not work. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of the money has come and gone. So yeah, we'll see right. what stays around. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so unleaded fuel. This is obviously yeah. something that we like Gotta to hit on talk often. About that. Yep, Gotta it's talk super about important it. to our future. So a few stories that have come out recently around the FAA reauthorization that we just want to sort of touch on real quick. It is, I suppose, not surprisingly, become an issue publicly. The Washington Post just published a story a couple of days ago uh-huh. that you alerted me to, where they essentially go over the bill and talk about the fact that unleaded that leaded fuel, Avgas needs to be available until something else is a provision that we think is very important in the bill to avoid situations like in California. Agreed. And, However, uh, the Washington Post's headline is uh, misleading, you know, as a journalist. Yes, I agree. Their headline says the FAA reauthorization bill would preserve a future for leaded gas. Well, it would preserve an immediate future for leaded mm-hmm. uh, gas until the entire industry can switch over to something that is fun- fungible, which mm-hmm. is, means mixable, yeah. and, uh, and that uh, the fuel is actually available at yeah. fuel trucks and fuel farms around the country. Yeah. So that that was not explained very well in the Washington Post story, I'm sorry to yeah. say. Yeah, and unfortunately, you know, they they turned to Maria Reyes, who lives at Reed, near Reed Hillview, where they've done uh-huh. some of these leads, really, really flawed lead studies. So, yeah, it's not not entirely balanced, I would say. One interesting thing about this that they get into is they do talk about Swift and Gamma. They talked to George Braley. Right. We've talked many times about the complexity of this transition, not just from a technological standpoint, but from a regulatory standpoint. And this is coming up now because one of the one of the proposals is that any unleaded fuel would have to meet some sort of consensus standard. Right now, that's ASTM, right? Right. Meeting that standard is incredibly time-consuming and 
really cost and you know, it's expensive. So it's difficult, difficult to meet that is what it yep, is. Yeah, that's why it's taken as long as it has. Yes, and we've had the PAFI fuel initiative since I've been at AOPA, and I think it started actually five years before I got to AOPA. Mm -hmm. So yeah, uh, and that's still going on in the background. You know, we heard yeah. re we heard recently from Mark Baker about the PAFI initiative, what's going on with that. There are a couple of major players, folks who really know the aviation fuel business and the fuel business in general, and that includes the infrastructure. Mm -hmm. So yep. you got that yep. going on. You got Eagle, you know, the unleaded gas initiative. And you got GAMI, as you mentioned, and Swift Fuels, which is available in California. But the thing is, about 30% of uh, general aviation aircraft use 75%, if I'm not mistaken, I think this is how it goes, 75% of that fuel. Yep. Yep. Those are for the big six-cylinder engine air, airplanes. That makes sense. It's the stationaires, uh, you know, it's the Cherokee Bonanzas. 6, you know, yep. Lances, uh, yeah, exactly, the Bonanza, yep. the, the big Cirruses. Yep. Um, so that makes sense because people are going places. <laughs> so, yeah, and just they burn uh, more fuel. It's like if you take a right. Cub and a, you know, and a Bonanza, it's like the Bonanza is going to burn more fuel, right? Because it burns more per hour. So, right. Yeah, you're right. But you know what? Uh, AOPA is all behind removing the lead from fuel. Uh, Jim Kuhn, yes. Senior Vice President of Government Affairs, says, you know, we need to have a safe and smart transition. Mark Baker said that at the Pilot Town Hall at Air Venture mm -hmm. and um, multiple times. But there has to be a safe transition and that's the key here and it's not going to be like a switch that you flip overnight so we do need to keep an eye on that we do need to keep uh moving ahead and it does look like the major players are at the same table and they're actually yes. talking I've, I've covered some of that uh eagle initiative they're there. The FAA is there. EPA is there. AOPA is there. Gamma is there. You know, the heavy hitters are all there. The, the fuel companies are there. And so they're trying to get a consensus on how to move forward. And we do have a deadline. And we know that this coming yeah. up uh, fall, we're going to have a report that EPA is going to say, hey, we've got to get the lid out. We know that's coming. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, we know it's going to happen. The question is when and how, and uh, there's a lot of sausage being made, I would say, towards that process, but um, definitely something that we all need to continue to take note of because obviously this could happen the way it should, which is orderly, or it could happen in the bad way, which is what's happened in California. Right. So um, definitely something that we want to stay on top of and, and we'll continue to do so. And we'll be right back. All right. Hey, David, good news. As we suspect, as you mentioned earlier with hiring, uh, things are just going gangbusters. We have now numbers from Piper for the second quarter. We'll get the full gamut numbers soon. But then also avionics sales, and both of those, just fantastic news all around. It is, Ian. I'm glad you mentioned that. You know, this is it's interesting to me because I've been searching to upgrade the panel on the Piper TriPacer, and the Aircraft Electronics Association's latest report says that they have hit the highest quarterly sales volume in the history of that organization. And we want to say thanks to AvWeb for posting this story. The interesting part of this, Ian, if you dive a little bit deeper, is that most of that comes from for what they call forward-fit sales, which mm -hmm. you explained to me means new aircraft. Yeah. And so that's... OEMs. Yeah, OEMs. And so that's a significant part of, of this. However, folks like me and folks like you who are you know, GA pilots, and we're looking to retrofit a panel. 
that still accounts for about 40% of the avionics sales. So mm -hmm. as technology comes to the market, I think pilots are really surveying what they have now. We talked a little bit about this a second ago with the, we're talking about hiring and how some of the aircraft prices are still high. The used aircraft prices are still high. So now that price yeah. delta of upgrading that Cessna 172, which you know, maybe the Cessna 172 was about a $50,000 airplane a couple of years ago. It's now a $100,000 $100, airplane. Yeah. So fifteen dollars or $20,000 in new avionics for safer operation might not be as big a hit as it would have looked like a few years ago. Yeah, that's a good point. Of course, you still got to have the money. To do you do. That. It still yes, comes you out do. of your pocket. Of course. But you're right in the sense of it in terms of pouring more into your investment than it's otherwise worth is uh, less of a concern than it used to be. One thing that I guess, you know, is sort of obvious, but I've never really thought about as we've looked at this report from AEA, but as you were speaking, it just came to mind is these are dollar numbers. Right. So when you look at what they call forward fit, which is OEM sales, it's 60% of sales, um, as you mentioned, retrofits 40%. Uh. However, you think about what goes in new airplanes. It's primarily G1000, 3000, 5000. That's sort of thing. It's big time These avionics. Are, you know, expensive avionics. Yeah, many hundreds of thousand dollar systems whereas you and I are putting in, you know, maybe 30,000 worth of equipment mm -hmm. or 10 or yeah. 40 or whatever, much lower. So, I think in volume, the retrofit market is still, I'm sure, much higher. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, it's just that in dollars it's lower. So, um, either way though, yeah, they had really incredible growth. I mean, 20% over the first half of 2022. So that's that's phenomenal growth for 2023. That's really awesome. That is awesome. I tell you what else is awesome. Piper is now having an awesome year too. Uh, you alluded to that during the tease. They saw about a 14% increase in aircraft shipments in quarter two. Mm -hmm. Now, when you go back and look at how many aircraft that, that might be, well, that's nine more airplanes for the same time last year yeah. and about, about a 19% rise in revenue in the quarter, which, you know, when you think about, okay, nine, air, nine aircraft in the same quarter. Well, if you're just saying it's nine aircraft in a quarter and you multiply that by four, that's 36 more airplanes per year, you know, yeah, that's and, a lot. It, it yeah. is kind of a lot and for a yeah. manufacturer that I want to say typically puts out about 170 aircraft a year. I'm not looking at my recent gamma numbers, but just going by, you know, historical trends, that's a large percentage of what they are putting yes, out. That's great. Yeah, and, a, and a pretty pretty big jump too over a year yeah. over year. We're, what we're starting to see, I think, is now you know aircraft sales and deliveries are getting into solid footing, like the pre-COVID levels. Yeah, absolutely. And the other thing here is, of course, backlog. They're saying the M class backlog is about a year or reaches into next year, which is which is actually pretty good. I think you know if you're looking for that sort of airplane six months to a year is a, is a healthy backlog, not too long. The training market, however, uh, yeah, they're saying that's like 25 or 26, which is honestly, it's too long. Cause it's like, if you own a flight school, you need that airplane today. You should have already ordered it last year. Yeah. <laughs> so to prospect a year and a half out, I mean, that's tough for a small flight school. I mean, you know, the bigger players, the ATPs, the world fine, but you know, everybody else is like, you need it now. So right. yeah, that's, that's going to be tough to sustain, but good news for them. And I hope they're able to kind of ramp up production a little bit to, uh, to keep up with that demand. That's, that's really phenomenal it is. to see that. Yeah. We need to take a visit down to Vero beach and see what's going on on the, on the Piper manufacturing floor. Yeah. There you go. Uh, hopefully in winter, right? 
There you go. I love it. Yeah. (laughs) All right. So, David, let's finish up just talking about Hawaii. We've all seen on the news the devastation there in Maui. As we know, GA loves to help in these situations. Pilots are, are, they just jump at an excuse to to go and fly and help out in that local community where maybe roads aren't yet available. And that's exactly what's happened uh, in Hawaii. So Lawrence Balter, who we mentioned, will be the guest in a few minutes. It's phenomenal what they did. I mean, you're talking, and I love the photos. It's like water, Gatorade, dog food, uh-huh. medicine, everything, diapers, that everything stuff you might that, need. It's yeah. one of the worst disasters in the state history. And you know those yeah. fires. We're we still don't know how many people are 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 missing and presumed dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, even even two weeks or so later, you know that airlift began with a single SR twenty SR twenty two Cirrus, grew yeah. into a major operation over over just a few days. They were flying out of Kapalua Airport, West Maui Airport, and some parts of Maui are not damaged. And that's another message uh, that a lot of people are trying to spread, which is don't forget, parts of Maui are still inhabitable and they still really need the tourist dollars because that drives a lot of that economy. But I mean, if you're a pilot and you want to help out, there would have been some serious hurdles to helping out because... Lost Balter and that group wanted to reimburse pilots a little bit for fuel. Fuel, yeah. Fuel's mm-hmm. expensive in Maui and in Hawaii. It's this ten bucks a gallon at least, you know, compared to stateside, which is like if you hit seven fifty, that's kind of high, stateside. So it's significantly more money. And because folks were in this rather remote area, you know, it it presented some problems, some challenges, and that needed a little bit of help from AOPA, mm-hmm. uh, from our regulatory folks. And indeed, they they got that help, which is a yeah. great story. Yep. So we were able to work with the FAA and really quickly get the exemption for those fuel reimbursements. And with the Maui Brewing Company, I think they were able to raise some money to provide those, that, that, those funds to be able to do the fuel reimbursements. And like you said, that's Boy, I, if there's one thing, it's like, obviously, pilots are giving of their time, of their airplanes, but it's like, you know, like you said, with the fuel being so expensive, to be able to get the reimbursement, it's like, bam, they're going for it. So, oh, um, yeah. yeah, it's super important and, uh, you know, nice to be able to help. And the other thing is that, you know, I'm a private pilot with uh, commercial pilot aspirations and instrument mm-hmm. pilot aspirations. But the way some of the regs are for receiving money for flights and all, that also was an issue, you yeah. know, that, that did you have to to possess a commercial pilot certificate to act as pilot in command? Because the way the regs are written, you know, if you're getting re, repaid for laying out money, right. you, should, yeah. you know, you need to... Normally. Right, right. Yes. So, Normally that would be the case. But yeah, no, it, with humanitarian flights, you can get reimbursed in some cases. Obviously, you got to be careful of those regs, but uh, but yeah, it is possible. So that was interesting. And the AOPA stepped in to help with that. That was a significant part of the story that Jim Moore recently wrote. We also want to thank Jim for, for getting Lawrence on the horn. I actually took a ground school, IFAR ground school from, from Maui, from Lawrence, you know, remotely oh, wow. during covid hmm. oh cool and he was great he was a great instructor and i really learned a lot from that and it's just just a feather in the cap of hawaii to have an operator like that over there with a flight school and a very active one at that yeah so we're excited to have him on and uh hear firsthand kind of how that's worked and and the help that they've been able to give local residents
lot of us have watched from a distance the wildfires that have absolutely devastated parts of Maui. Lawrence Balter joins us on Hangar Talk today, and I thank you, Lawrence, for taking some time. I know we've covered your aviation exploits in, in many capacities over the years, including a very nice feature in, the, in a 2020 issue of Pilot Magazine. Today, though, the, the situation is, is a lot different, and I'd like to start by really focusing on what general aviation is doing to help. And I, from what I gather, this is maybe not unique, but it's unusual in a disaster situation. Here we are days you know, after the, the fires, at least most of them, are out, and there's still something for, still a role for general aviation. How, how did that come about and what's, what's been happening? Well, having lived on the West Side for three years of the 23 years that we've lived on Maui, and I, in fact, we lived right next to the West Maui Airport. And ever since, uh, even before we uh, moved here, that airport has always been closed to general aviation. And our pilots all the time are like, why can't we operate out of there? Why can't we land there? And it was a state restriction. It's actually the only airport in the state that does not accept federal funds. And uh, so I always knew in the back of my mind, one day we're gonna need that airport. But uh, when this uh, tragedy happened, we mobilized very quickly and we called the uh, airport manager's office and we received approval within 24 hours to operate relief flights into there. So although the fire department, everybody was already, you know, handling the fires and so forth, we were really the first responders bringing everything. I mean, we're talking, uh, you name it, everything from sleeping bags to food to water. Pet food, I remember seeing on a manifest, which is important to pet owners. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Yeah, that was our last trip. Yeah, it was like, wait, what about the pets? But the road has been closed and then it opened and then it closed again. And it's been, you can imagine it's a, it, it's been a nightmare, very frustrating for the residents. And even a lot of the visitors, I was getting texts from pilots that had flown with me days before who were staying in hotels on that side saying, I can't get out. I've been stuck in, in my rental car for 40 hours. It was really something. He's like, can't you come over to Kapalu and pick me up? And I was like, I, I couldn't get that approval to do it until uh, later. But the GA group, and this isn't just about us, this is about the GA community. And we're talking Outer Island pilots, uh, you name it. We all rallied together, quickly organized under the uh, auspices of uh, not only the local airport fire station, but Maui Brewing Company, who happens to own our Cirrus aircraft. They operated their factory as a hub to bring supplies. And then they would truck them over to the uh, the airport We'd load it up and off we go. From wheels up to wheels down, 12 minutes in the Cirrus and and then the other aircraft, uh, you know, just a few minutes beyond. And it was really heartwarming to see there were some people as we were on approach on our base leg, you know, just kind of waving to us, like giving us a thank you because they realized that um, this was their only lifeline. There was no cell service, no power, no, no way of really communicating other than people relaying to other people on the ground, tell the pilots we need this, tell the pilots we need that. And so we didn't ask any questions, we just did it. And uh, so I don't know the number for the first day, but uh, because nobody was counting. The second day of relief flights, we flew a total, uh, and I say in aggregate, the GA community flew 57 uh, airlifts in approximately, I mean, I had maybe five, six, 700 pounds of cargo 
at a time. There were a couple of Saratogas that could take a thousand pounds. So you can do the math. There was, you know, thousands. I mean, we're talking uh, essentially 18 wheeler loads of uh, supplies during that day, which were badly needed. Help me understand the logistics challenge here. You know, I'm not familiar with Maui. So you talk about that 12-minute flight. You're making that 12-minute flight because the airport you were flying to that you were talking about is reachable to the communities most affected. What's the lay of the land? If You, you bet. If you look at a map of Maui, which maybe your team can overlay, the West Maui Airport, Kapalua, is located on the west side. So basically Maui is two essentially two volcanic islands that came together in the valley. This is why we call it the Valley Islands. So we have West Maui and then we have East Maui. The airport that all the airliners and, and that we operate in is Kahului Airport, and that sits in the middle of the valley. So during the fires, and the winds were so strong, it was really unreasonable to even you know, fly in there. But as soon as the winds started to settle down, we were launching. But we would take off. It's called a Northwest departure. So we'd get a clearance out of the Charlie Airspace and then uh, zip out along the North Shore. And in 12 minutes, you know, we're on the ground over there. That airport is 10 minutes drive to Lahaina. Now, 10 minutes, I should say, pre-tragic tragedy drive to Lahaina. There are, I believe, three depots or centers where uh, all of the relief efforts were being coordinated, you know, the gymnasium and, and the schools. But um, uh, so the guys on the ground were using their vehicles to get uh, needed supplies to the depot over there. And then we, as soon as we unloaded, it took us about five minutes. The fire department on the ground at the airport was there initially, and they would help unload. And then uh, within five, 10 minutes, we were back out again. So, and then the effort grew as, you know, more pilots from even outer islands came as well to help. So this was without a lot of advanced planning. This, this just came together and... Sounds like a pretty well-oiled... Yes, uh, social media. Give credit to uh, uh, Garrett at Maui Brewing Company, who's a Cirrus pilot and he owns the aircraft. He's got a large following locally. And so because there's no cell service over there and, and you know, people were barely getting any sort of signal, but, you know, we call it the coconut wireless, you know, which is basically you tell somebody, somebody tells somebody else and, you know, it's a small community, right? So things were starting to, to get going. But as soon as people started seeing the airplanes flying into Kapalua, they realized, oh, wait a minute, there is a lifeline here. Um, so the, the big thing uh, I, th- that happened um, day before yesterday was we got a call, a frantic call for insulin. And apparently there was a hundred pounds of insulin that needed to be delivered from the big island and the airlines were rejecting it for, I don't know what reason. And, and it's again, you know, third hand communication. But um, as soon as we got word, we deployed and uh, it was actually Garrett who flew uh, the insulin. Uh, it was his turn to fly and we got it there. So I'm sure I know that saved lives. How can pilots who are not already in Hawaii <laughs> help? Is there, I, I think you're raising some funds perhaps? Yes, we have an Avgas relief fund on GoFundMe, and uh, we're sharing it amongst all the pilots. I've asked all the pilots to submit their fuel receipts to me. So, you know, they didn't have to worry about, oh my gosh, how much is this going to cost me? It, I, I, because of our sort of presence on social media, and, and of course, a lot of our previous, our largest donors were previous customers that have flown with us. 
uh, gave significant amounts, but we're, we're burning it. And, you know, we want to burn every penny of it to continue to doing the efforts that we're doing. But yes, there is a GoFundMe link, which I can send. Uh, it's on our uh, Instagram as well as uh, I'll be putting it on our website. But it's mostly, I'd say 80%, it's pilot donations from around the world. Uh, and then uh, also some local community, they're seeing the, the efforts that we're doing. But uh, uh, it's great. It's, it's really, this is the thing. The public really doesn't understand the value of general aviation until they need it. And uh, I remember many years ago in a meeting with airport management, and they were talking about shutting down our runway, runway five. There's two runways in Kahului and all this, you know, rebuilding plans. And I said, guys, God forbid there's a disaster one day on this island. You will be very grateful that general aviation is here to help. I would have never expected it to be a firestorm, an inferno that happened. I was more expecting to be either a tsunami or a hurricane uh, that we would come to aid. But uh, And this is the message that if, if Santa Monica can hear and all of these other airports around the country, the communities and municipalities there that want to shut down airports, GA, we're out there, we're willing to help by cutting us off and closing down airports. Bad idea. Tell me, I'd lo- love for you to talk a little bit about the, the sense of community that uh, a lot of people in the news have described that you are Hawaii as a state is as remote as you can be, and one consequence of that is that people stick together. And when something bad happens to to really anyone, but particularly on your island, it's personal and. Tell me what it's been like for you as I, I forget how many years you've lived there, but it's yeah, 20, 23 years. Well, you get to know, you know, uh, a lot of people. And if you don't know somebody on the Island, somebody, you know, knows them. So it's a, essentially, it's a, like a very small town in the middle of Kansas. So everybody knows each other through one way or, or another. And because we are on an Island, right? Literally everybody has been very heartwarming and and welcoming to getting help, giving help, giving aid. We've had people just drive up to the hangar saying, uh, who I've never seen before saying, can you take this to the other side? And and then we did get some personal requests. Can you take this to such and such person? And we marked the boxes with their name on it. And, you know, this is not unlike, you know, the disaster relief that a lot of GA pilots flew in, in Haiti and, and all the different places in the hurricanes on the East Coast where, I mean, we're not doing anything special. We're just, you know, I think it's much more magnified because, it's a unique situation. Take this disaster anywhere in the community in America or GA is always there to, to help the community. You know, we're trying to always be the best neighbors that we can. And uh, this is one of those instances. Well, the, it, it sounds uh, like incredible work and, and particularly to be so organized so quickly. <laughs> uh, my, my hat's off. Yeah, well, the group techs help a lot, <laughs> uh, you know, because the GA community and, you know, and I give credit to Mark Baker, who's come out here to Maui specifically, actually twice, and Jim Coons from AOPA. And we've had our AOPA town hall meetings and, you know, everybody knows, oh, you're the red Cessna, you're the blue Cessna, you're the Cirrus, you know, and and so, uh, and even on the outer islands, you know, a lot of pilots know each other. So we saw some people yesterday as just a quick example uh, that I, I met once a long time ago, they've got a, a beach baron and I was waving them down. We were on the ramp in Kapalua and it was super windy. And, and, and I said, you know, they thought I was asking them to help unload and they came over and I said, give me your fuel receipts 
uh, because we're, we're collecting funds to, uh, so you don't have to worry about this. And uh, especially that Baron burns fuel, like it's going out of style. So I, they appreciated it. <laughs> well, I, I appreciate your time very much and I want to respect it. I, I, I gather that you have uh, some more media to talk to out at the airport coming up pretty soon. It, before I let you go, is there anything that we haven't covered that you really want, particularly pilots uh, from the wider United States to, to, to know? about? Well, I just think that this is the value of what, you know, pilots and AOPA members bring to the community. We're all like-minded and uh, we're all standing together. And when it comes to uh, getting the job done, there's no better group of people that I know other than say the U.S. military. And uh, we were there, in fact, uh, quicker, faster, and uh, a little bit more efficient. Uh, we yet still have to see what the military has been uh, doing over here. So, but that's another story. Well, I, I hope you will continue to stay in touch, and and I thank you, and and keep us updated. Uh, as as it sounds like this may go on for maybe more than another day or two. I don't know if you have any expectation there. It could be. We're we're going to find out more today, and uh, yes, the the rebuild is going to take time. the The rest of Maui is is functioning and it's open. In fact, the mayor said we we're still open for business, and but uh, the, that side of the island is is going to be a while. Thank you very much. Thank you. Yeah, I always love to see GA lend a helping hand. It's really, it shows unique capabilities of what we do, helicopters, airplanes, to be able to go in and be the first in usually when roads and in some cases, even boats can't even get there. So just a phenomenal story and really glad that uh, those pilots stepped up. Yeah, me too. And I'm hoping that Maui will get rebuilt. Uh, I know it's a, one of the most beautiful places on earth and it's a terrible tragedy for folks and, uh, you know, a lot of people could take a page out of that book. You know, while we record this uh, program, California got hit with some major rain. There were mm -hmm. some landslides. There's a, a lot of issues there that could affect pilots and residents as well. And then we're in the middle of hurricane season. Yeah. So we have, haven't heard the last of that on the East Coast and the Gulf Coast. So there's a lot of room for pilots to do good and just stay tuned and don't go in there and cause more trouble. But <laughs> pitching, it, pitching in to help is a great idea. Yeah, that's right. All right, David, I think that's all the time we have. I'm Ian Twombly. Our editor is Austin Hansen. I'm David Tulis. Don't forget, you can find us at aopa.org slash talk and wherever you get your podcasts. All right, we'll see you next time. See you, Ian. Hangar Talk from AOPA, your freedom to fly. <laughs>